you have your Bibles with you tonight, open up Psalm 144 is where we're going to start. And uh, (coughs) we'll work our way through. Psalm 144 is a psalm to uh, Yahweh the warrior. Several psalms that, uh, (coughs) that put out an emphasis on Yahweh as the mighty warrior, as the the one who fights for his people, takes care of his people. So, Psalm 144 begins with this phrase, Blessed be the Lord my rock. Now you notice, again, as we work our way through, the the word Lord there is all caps. It signifies the tetragrammaton. You're looking at capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, or the proper name of God, Yahweh. Uh, um, So when we look at capital L-O-R-D, we're looking at God's, proper name. I am the becoming one. Yahweh is laying out before us. So, blessed be Yahweh, my rock, that immovable thing in my life, that thing that never changes, that, that, uh, that which I can cling to, and I don't have to worry about, uh, uh, one day being in a bad mood, or the next day, uh, it doesn't like me anymore, or vacillating between levels of truth. No, the reason the scripture talks to us about this idea that God is a rock, is that we would understand several things. One is that He's immovable. He doesn't change. God doesn't change. What we read about the Lord God is solid, rock, it don't move. What we read about Him in the Old Testament is enlightened in the New Testament. Nothing changes. It's all the same. Same God, same faithfulness, same love. (coughs) All of those things all the way through. So, part one we recognize God's immovable. Part two, we get enlightenment from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which tells us that the children of Israel were sustained in the wilderness because they received water out of the rock. And it says that rock is Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? That's not his last name. Christ is his title. Jesus... Probably Jesus bar Joseph, if you really want to look for a last name. But (coughs) Christ was his title. It means Messiah, anointed one. So what does Paul say? The anointed one is the rock. What did the psalm say? Who's the rock? Yahweh is the rock. Yahweh is the rock. What What does that tell us? That the Messiah was Yahweh. That they're one and the same. We're going to see that as we look at these three psalms tonight. We're going to see several phrases that point to the reality that Yahweh and Jesus are one. One in essence. (coughs) So as we look, blessed be Yahweh, my rock. And then what's he do? He trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Maybe that's not the way you look at God. But if you uh, just take a moment to look into your life, your life has been one giant boot camp. And it's constantly, there's preparation that God is doing in your life for whatever is next. You know, I'd love to tell you that you've been through it all and you don't have to worry about next is easy. But the easy part when we see Jesus, then it's easy. Prior to that time, we know that every day is a battle. But here's where our hope is. Our hope is not, oh my gosh, I'm going to spend my whole life in battle. Our hope is, God says, I'm going to train you. 
I'm going to fix your hands. I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to make sure you're ready. God doesn't send us in <coughs> without his preparation. And ultimately, how, how blessed are we that every, every step we take, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we're empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit is given to us upon salvation. The Holy Spirit is with us to guide us and lead us in truth, to reprove us and correct us, to work within our lives. That's, that's quite a, a uh, whatever, the, what's the opposite of handicap? There you go. I'll go with that, Carol. Benefit. So we're running with benefits. It's a benefit, right? We have God's presence <coughs> with us, equipping us. Now listen to the titles he gives to God. So it's God who prepares him for war, this immovable object, my loving kindness, and my fortress. That phrase, my loving kindness, is the Hebrew word hesed. C-H-E-S-E-D. If you want to spell it in English. Hesed is the Hebrew equivalent to agape. Agapeo. It's a, every time you see tender loving kindness, loving kindness, um, uh, those phrases are all <coughs> taken from the Hebrew word chesed. So what's he saying? He's saying that he is <coughs> my loving kindness, my tender mercy. This God that prepares his hands for war. And he's my fortress. That tells me that, that God is my safe place. I like to have a safe place, man. What does it mean when something's my safe place? Well, this is how I understand it. It means I don't have to be afraid, and I don't have to be fake, and I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. I can just be who I am. Now, that doesn't mean that's an excuse I use to be, you know, wicked. It just means I don't have to be afraid that God knows me. God loves me. God protects me. He's my fortress. He's my safe place. <clears throat> He's that place wherein I can find comfort, peace, strength, encouragement, preparation. For the battles that lie ahead. He's my high tower and my deliverer. So the high tower was like that last ditch place of refuge. When you were in the high tower, you were the furthest away from everything. The most well protected. And my deliverer, that's the one who delivers us. Now what's he delivering us from? Most people would like to be delivered from all those things that prepare you for war. I want to be delivered from all the difficulty. Uh, every football player I ever coached wanted to be delivered from practice. I want to be delivered from the weight room. I want to be delivered. But those are all the things that prepare you. Get what I'm saying? <clears throat> what is it he delivers us from? He delivers us from the wrath of God. We're delivered from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so he delivers us from sin, from the bondage of sin. He is my deliverer, the one who carries me through. My shield and the one in whom I take refuge. <coughs> so he's the one that takes all the shots. Remember when the people were complaining at Moses? They're complaining at Moses and, and they're mad. You know, the children of Israel were mad, always mad about something. Moses did something wrong, right? He painted the piano the wrong color. He, he you know, got ugly carpet. I don't know. He did whatever he did. And people were complaining. And you remember what God told them. Moses, don't be mad at the people, for they're not complaining against you. What did he say? They're complaining against me. That's what it is to be the shield. 
That's why the Bible tells us multiple times to to honor our elders, to um, to be careful about uh, uh, causing discord among brethren, right? And all those things. Why is it? Because if we're all brothers, we're all part of the same family. If God's truly sovereign and directing, if God is moving, then your bitterness is not at that person or that thing, but ultimately at God. Ultimately, ultimately, God is working a perfect work, right? He has decreed. There are certain things God has decreed. They're going to come to pass. And those things we, we can recognize and know. God's my shield, my protection. He's the one where I have refuge. I don't have refuge in Calvary Chapel Buell. I don't have refuge in Celebrate Recovery. I don't have refuge. I have refuge in Christ. Being a part of an organization or a part of a, a, a deal, that does, that's not it. We've got to be in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, right? All redemption, forgiveness is found being in Christ Jesus. How are we in Christ Jesus? When we believe we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, we are in Christ Jesus. And then we find refuge in him. Who ultimately subdues my people under me. Now, <laughs> David, as he's laying out this psalm, what he's saying is, look, God's placed me here as king, but he is working in the hearts of the people to unite us. If, if God's working in our hearts, there's unity. If God's not working in our hearts, there's discord. Do you get it? But if God's working, right, the Holy Spirit's not usually punching the Holy Spirit. No? <laughs> There's not discord within God and within his people if his people are, are paying attention to God's direction, to receiving from the Lord who subdues <coughs> my people under me. So, all of this concept leads David to this statement. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you are mindful of him? What, what did we ever do? It's a rhetorical question. There's nothing special about man. There, it's, it's just all within God's choice, God's freedom. That he, that he made man, that he loves man, that he has bestowed upon man the opportunities that he had. Verse 4, he says, man is like a breath, his days like a passing shadow. That word breath is the word habel, which uh, can be translated breath, but in Ecclesiastes, it's translated vanity. Anybody ever read Ecclesiastes? If you have, you have an idea how many times vanity comes up in Ecclesiastes? You have an idea of how many times this word comes up. Vanity, 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 all is vanity, according to Ecclesiastes, life under the sun. <laughs> he says, man is vanity. Man is breath. Man is temporal. Man's not eternal. Man is, is passing away. He's just a shadow, right? We don't, I don't know, guys, but for the most part, most of us are going to leave this earth, and we're really not making that big a dent, right? Really not making that much of a dent. So, what's the big deal about us? Who are we <coughs> that you would be mindful of us? But then, from verse 5 through 10, he's going to say, but, but even though that's true, I need you. 
I need you. It's God's the one who brings victory. Look what he says. Bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they will smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows. Destroy them. Stretch out your hand from above. And then here is your chorus. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters. From the hand of the foreigner. Foreigner is the idea of anybody outside. Anybody outside of of Israel. But the great waters is the idea of his life being utter chaos. You ever been there? Life's chaos, upside down, sideways. I feel like I'm in the middle of water. You know, I'm drowning. The waves are, are tall. I don't know. Anybody ever swum rapids before? Sometimes I like swimming rapids. I swam the, the uh, uh, American River, some rapids in the American River. And the crazy thing about rapids is you see this bump in the water. And you get this idea you're going to go over it. But that's not how it works, right? The bump in the water, you're going through under. So you see the bump, you go under the water, and if you get your timing off, and you try, you think, I'm going to take a breath as soon as I get to the top of that, then your breath is underwater. So you start coughing, and usually there's another bump, another bump, another bump, another bump. So <coughs> every time you try to breathe, you're breathing in a bunch of water. And it doesn't, it's not as much fun swimming rapids like that. So if you, if you learn that when you see those, uh, you just go through them. You don't go over them. So when you see them, you've got to breathe before them. Or you can breathe after them, but don't breathe in the middle of them. So sometimes when life is chaos, it's like we're going through the rapids and we're breathing, our breathing's off. So every time I try to catch a breath, I'm like just choking on more water. But the difference is, that rapid looks like it's going on forever. So this is what the psalmist is saying. God, I need you to rescue me and deliver me because I'm drowning in this water, the great water. And you can picture it like that river in the rapids. You can picture it like big waves at the beach. It's all the same. It's all the same. You get in any of those situations and you realize this is rugged. The next one's going to take me out. The next one will be the last one. So what is it that the psalmist is looking for? He's looking for God's deliverance. And here's his issue. Look at verse 8. Here's his issue. (coughs) The struggle that he's having is with this. Mouths that speak lying words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. So you got lying words and false promises. Anybody ever had that kind of stuff in your life? People lying about you, saying whatever ain't true, and or making promises that don't ever come true. You know, they don't ever fulfill. So this is his struggle. Man, I need to be delivered from this. Now, in verse 9, he looks to God and he says, man, God, I will sing a new song to you. That That is like saying, I know I'm going to get through this. I know you're my strong tower, you're my shield, you're all those things that we talked about. So I'm going to hold on to you and you're going to get me through this and I'm going to sing a new song. Now, right now, I, maybe I'm down in the dumps, but there's, there's praise right around the corner. So he says, I will sing a new song. On a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises. The one uh, who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David, his servant, from the deadly sword. So he says, man, I'm going to sing a new song, and I'm going to sing it to you, God. You're the one who delivers kings, saves kings. You're the one who brings us through. 
<coughs> God is the one who carries us through the struggles in life. And that's what the psalmist is, is singing about. That's what he's remarking uh, on, that God is able, that we can look back and we can see the former mercies of God help us understand uh, that there are going to be present mercies and future mercies. Or look at it like this. The past grace of God tells us there will be present grace and future grace. And so that's what David is clinging to, man. He understands that God's going to deliver. Then he goes back to the chorus. Rescue and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speak lying words and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And then he begins to pray. Now he's praying through this psalm for, for God's blessing in a number of ways. Listen to how he does it. That our sons may be like plants grown up in their youth. So he's, he's praying that our sons would grow strong. Just like a plant grows, that they're, that they're going to grow. So he's saying, man, we want our sons <laughs> to grow up. That our daughters might be like pillars, sculptured in palace style. So what he's asking for the daughters is that the daughters would be beautiful like the pillars. You come with us <coughs> to Israel. In Israel, there's there. I don't remember all the names of them. But I'll remember them again when I get back from Israel. But you get to the top of the of the pillar, and there's a, a variety of different styles d- depending on time frame. But at the top of the pillar, they always have this ornate decoration all the way around it. So the idea is that that the daughters would be beautiful, well decorated, strong. That they would be <laughs> examples. Of these beautiful pillars that they have throughout the, throughout the temple, so that our daughters may be like these pillars, and then second or thirdly, that our barns may be full. So he's praying for uh, strong, decorated young women, men or young boys growing to become strong men, and then abundance. That they have abundance in the barns, that they have abundance in their sheep, that they have abundance in their oxen. Look at it. That our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce. That our sheep may bring forth thousands, tens uh, and ten thousands in our fields. That our oxen may be well laden. That there be no breaking out, uh, breaking in, or going out. That there be no outcry in our streets. So, praying that the young men become strong men. That the young women become beautiful, strong young women. That. They have abundance in their barns and in their livestock, and that they have peace. That's what he's praying for. He's laying out that this is what he desires to see in his nation. And then look what he says in verse 15. So happy are the people who are in such a state, who have all these things. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. The idea is, man, the gifts are treasured, but they're not treasured above the giver. The giver is the greatest treasure of all. So we have God's gifts. God's gifts are good, but God's gifts can become idols for his people. We want to be able to treasure God's gifts. The way we do that is we treasure the giver. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. We have him, we have everything we need. All the other things 
<clears throat> will eventually come into place. Now, Psalm 145 is the last of the acrostic psalms of David. Remember, an acrostic psalm is a psalm that follows the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in order. For In English, it would be, you know, the first verse is A, second verse B, next verse C. You with me? It just follows all the way through. <coughs> so this is an acrostic, and it's basically this praise for the king. Ultimately, praise for the king. He's talking about praise for God and in his kingliness. So look what he says. I will extol you, my God, O king. Now, this is so important that people understand, because a lot of people, I think, have this idea... I don't know, some people might give me a bad rap and say I'm a lordship guy, and, and I would have to say, well, I probably am. Because I, I don't know what other way there is. What do I mean by lordship guy? I mean, uh, some people want Jesus for a savior, but they don't want him to be lord. And I don't know how you have one without the other. Does that make sense? I don't know how you have <clears throat> Yahweh as your God and not your king. It's the same kind of an idea. I believe in Yahweh, but I'll do nothing, he says. Yeah, he's not your king, and you don't really believe in him then. Because if you did, you want to follow him, right? You know, you want to you do the things he wants you to do. I just remember, I remember really nothing like this at all. But when I was in, uh, <laughs> when I was in boot camp, my first night of boot camp in the Marine Corps, <coughs> I remember this little bitty... Mexican fella who was our drill instructor telling us that before it was all over if he told us to go over there because we were right next to the airport in San Diego so you could see the planes leaving and you would wish multiple times you were on one of those planes and he said you know before it is over if I told you go get me that plane you'll go do it and I'm like you're crazier than that I don't I, I Sooner I get out of here and don't have to listen to you no more, the better. But you know, by the time of boot camp, if he'd have told me to go, I'd have went. I'd have done it. Why? Because that first day, he was nobody to me. He's just a fella yelling at me. But at the end of 13 weeks, uh, he had my respect. And now he was my leader. And if he told me, this is what I need you to do. That's what I do. And if, by the way, if that don't happen in the service, then you lose. Yeah? You, we don't, United States doesn't win because there's some magic pixie dust we got, and so we're better than everybody else. And the more I see the, <coughs> the attitude of, of uh, some of the people living in the United States, it's not going to be very long before we ain't got much. Just because you got... The best gun only gets you so far. You got to have somebody that knows where to be to shoot it, you know. People who won't listen, who who rebel against authority. So what does that mean? When I see people on the news rebelling against authority, all that means is, yeah, this ain't your country. Cuz this was my country and I stood up and with a bunch of other guys and I swore to defend her against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And that didn't change. But that's, she's mine. And when, when that's the reality, now you want to function together and, and figure out a way to make things work. Does that make sense? 
So, anyways, my point is, God needs to be your king if he's your God. Jesus can't just be your savior if he's not your Lord. Just that, I don't, I don't see how that, how that can possibly <coughs> work out. So, he's extolling God, the king, and I will bless your name for how long? Forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name for how long? Forever and ever. Great is the Lord. Greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Unknowable. That's what it means. God's greatness is so great, you can't know how great God is. That's pretty great, right? So, he starts with this praise for his king. Now you see the attitude toward his king. You see the attitude of, of David, how he wants to extol him, lift him up, honor him, glorify him, right? With his words, with his praise. Now he's going to praise the king's faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. Look what he says. <coughs> Verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now look how many times he's going to talk about the things God does. He talks about praising his works, declaring your mighty acts. He says, I will, I will meditate on your glorious splendor, or the, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Look, all that he's saying is he's praising God for his faithfulness because he does what he says he's going to do. I always appreciate that. I always liked, I always liked that uh, my dad pretty much said what was going to happen. So I didn't have to <clears throat> worry about if dad said, boy, when you get home, I'm going to whoop you. When I got home, he was going to whoop me. That it was just how it was. But it, you know that works both ways, right? When dad said something was well done, that he really meant that. That that, that meant something. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> so I appreciate that, that, that there was that follow through. And in a small way compared to our heavenly father, right? Who has kept every single promise, every single thing he ever said he was going to do, he's absolutely going to do. And because of that, we can go to Romans 8, 28 and say, For I know, not I hope, not I think, not I wish, all things work together for good. Right? That God has a purpose and a plan for those who love Him, the called according to His purpose. Say, <clears throat> that we can know. Why? Because we look back at God's past grace. And what does that tell me? There's going to be present grace. And what does that tell me? There's going to be future grace. Because that's how God is. So we, we learn from that. He's praising the faithfulness of God. Man, God is so faithful. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. Now, how many times is that true? Yeah, it's always true. I don't care what story you're reading. I don't care if we're in Leviticus. I don't care if we're in the book of Judges and watching the armies wipe out whole groups of people, God is still compassionate and slow to anger. You're reading a history book. 
What you don't see is the hundreds of years of call to repentance and rebellion that continued before God brought that particular judgment or another. So what is it that we know about God? Absolutely, no matter what we know, we know that God is gracious and full of compassion. So if God is full of compassion, that's a lot of compassion, isn't it? Because God's pretty big. So he's full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. Look at verse 9. The Lord is good to most. The Lord is good to some. What's it say? The Lord is good to all. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercy. Remember I told you what's the word for loving kindness? Tender mercy. Chesed. It's that agapeo. The agape love of God. The self-sacrificing love that God has for his creation. He lays out the Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over how many of his works? All his works. Huh. Funny how that is. That's why God could say to the nation of Israel all day long, I reach out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Because that's how God is. He's constantly reaching out. That's why the scripture can say, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, man. So God in his word laying out for us his faithfulness. He's full of love. He's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. Next we have the praise of God's kingdom in verse 10. The praise for God's kingdom. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Let me tell you another way to say this. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, what's the word? Lord, to the glory of the Father. So every knee will bow. Right here it says, all your works shall praise you, Yahweh. All your works shall praise you. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. To the glory of the Father, Jesus Christ is absolutely Lord. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. Kingdom. Look, if we haven't learned anything from history of mankind, we should, know, we should have this part down. <coughs> Man has no idea what he's doing. How long we been on this planet? Are you kidding me? And, and what, there's been a handful of years without war someplace? And here still thousands of years later, man's still killing man because he's different. And it ain't just in the U.S. Right? We talked about that last time. Remember, there used to be a country called Yugoslavia. Yeah? And you had the Serbs and uh, what was the other crew? Croatians and the Serbs? Yeah, you got the Kurds in the way too, huh? <clears throat> the idea though, in Yugoslavia, if I took those two people and stood them up in front of you, you probably couldn't tell them apart. But I hate each other. Because they're different. They're, they're fighting over religion. One crew is, is Catholic, and the other crew is uh, Muslim, so they're shooting each other. In in Ireland, where they shoot each other over there, put them together, you probably couldn't tell them apart neither. <clears throat> where do they shoot each other? Well, Catholic or Protestant? What's the bottom line? Why why are they killing each other? We're different. 
We're different. How do we not know we're different by now? We haven't figured that out? <clears throat> if we kill everybody who's different than us, we'll be the only person left on the planet, won't we? So, man don't know what he's doing. Man will praise God's kingdom. Because the Bible says when Jesus Christ rules, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. What does that mean? That means no more... It's going to be perfect justice. You do wrong, you pay. Your, your judgment will be perfectly meted out. It will be, finally, perfection in government. And for those who study eschatology, the bonus that we give God after a thousand years of this peaceful kingdom is civil war. Don't worry, it's short. just long enough for God to say, okay, that's it. And then standing at a great white throne and the judgment at the end takes place. So one day they're going to praise the kingdom of God, man, because God's kingdom is amazing. And they will talk of His power. They'll make known to the sons of men His mighty acts and the glorious majesty of His kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. How long does an everlasting kingdom last? Oh, it's amazing, huh? And your dominion endures throughout all generations. So we have the praise of the kingdom of God. Next, we have the praise of God's grace. Look at it. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. What does that mean? What's he talking about? He's talking about this. God gives Grace to the humble. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Who's the humble? The man who falls before God. Who bows the knee. Who acknowledges that there is someone much greater out there. He gives grace to the humble. The eyes of all look expectantly to you. And you give them their food in due season. So... When we have plenty in the United States, who do we have to praise? It's God, man. That's a gift from God. There's a lot of places don't have plenty, right? And it ain't because we're so smart. And it's not because we're better than everybody else. What is it because of? God's grace. Yeah? And God's grace is given to who? The proud or the humble? Who? We might be in trouble, no? He goes on. He says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's God who takes care of it all. In fact, Scripture tells us that not one sparrow, not one bird falls to the ground, but God knows. Right? God knows. (coughs) And then he says, you are way more significant than the sparrow. Next, we have the praise of God's righteousness. The Lord is righteous in all His ways. How many of His ways? Oh, so everything God does is right. All His ways. God is righteous. And gracious in all His works. It means God's grace is involved in everything He does. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. How many? All who do what? All who call upon Him. The Lord is near. To all who call upon him in truth. Don't forget that phrase. Do you get it? Yeah, you've got to really know who he is. 
can't be somebody totally different. And really, that's a big problem in the world today with a variety of other <clears throat> religions, cults. I don't know what you guys want to call them to keep you happy. But look, if Jesus Christ is not God, part of the triune Godhead, if <clears throat> Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh, Jesus said in John chapter 8, unless you believe that I am, ego I, me, Yahweh, you'll die in your sin. So that's kind of a big problem if there's a group of people that say, well, Jesus isn't really God, he's Michael. Isn't that a problem? Is that calling upon him in truth? Okay, well, or if they say he's not really God, he's just one of many gods. Well, is that calling on him in truth? So it kind of matters, guys. Theology matters. What the Bible teaches matters. If it isn't what the Bible teaches, then it ain't right. And you call on that, there's no salvation there. That's like if I say to you, hey, if you call me, I'll give you my Harley. And you call Jackie Lures. You ain't getting nothing. She don't even got a Harley. She got the same name as me. But we don't look nothing alike, do we? And we're pretty different. Just ask her. She'll be happy to tell you. We're pretty different. There's a lot of people that use the same name, but it ain't the same person. The Lord is gracious to those. He's near to those who call upon him in truth. What is truth? The word of God is truth. That's it. If it ain't in here, it's not real. That's just how it is. That's what God's word lays out. It says, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. And he will hear their cry. And what's it say? Save them. He will hear the cry of those who fear him. Those who revere God. Those who honor God. Those who place God above. Those who acknowledge him as king. All those concepts are around the idea of fearing God. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. But is a word of strong contrast. So in the same way that he preserves you and I and those who come to him by faith, in the same way that he's faithful to that, he will be faithful to condemn those who don't. That line's drawn from long ago. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever. Ten more verses. We can do it. Psalm 146 to Psalm 150 is the last Hallel collection. Remember I taught you Hebrew. You guys remember? How do you say praise the Lord in Hebrew? Hallelujah. Look how smart you guys are. So all of these Psalms, if you look at them, what phrase do they begin with? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So in, in Hebrew, how do they start? Hallelujah, praise the Lord, oh my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in princes. Let me, let me put it to you another way. Do not put your trust in Republicans. Oh, in case you don't get that, let me, let me change it up. Do not put your trust in Democrats. How about this? 
Do not put your trust in politicians. And for some of you who are thinking this in the back of your head, do not put your trust in Trump. (laughs) Don't put your trust in any man. Okay? Because man does what? It's going to fail. That's what man's broken. We're all broke men. That's why it's so vital. If you're going to put your trust, where does your trust go? To the Lord. Yeah, he doesn't fail. God never fails. Don't put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. Because his spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans perish. And everybody goes, what? Oh, this is what it says. Because man dies and returns to the dust. For from the dust you came, and to the dust you shall return. So don't put your trust in a dirt clod. That's what it's talking about. (laughs) That's absolutely what he's saying, man. Don't put your trust in a dirt clod. Then what's he saying in verse 5? Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. So where do we want to put our trust? In the God of Jacob, Yahweh, whose hope is in the Lord, Yahweh, his God. So rather than put your hope in man, put your hope in God. Why should we put our hope in God? Look at verse 6. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who keeps truth for how long? Forever. Forever. That's why I say, man, the word of God is the final arbiter of all truth. Final arbiter. Right here. If it says it's wrong, it's not ever going to be right. If it says it's right, it's not ever going to be wrong. Final arbiter. Forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. Who gives freedom to the prisoners. Now several things he's going to talk about that God gives. That God gives. Justice for the oppressed. There will be justice. Food for the hungry. Revelation talks about a time when the sun will not scorch their face anymore. When their tongues will not swell anymore. When they won't be hungry ever again. There is a day. There will be a day. God will make all things new. In fact, Jesus says from the throne in the book of Revelation, See, I make all things new. He puts all the pieces back together. But I want you to look at verse 8. Just for a moment, we won't spend a lot of time on it. The Lord does what? Opens the eyes of the blind. What's that Lord? How's that spelled? All caps? What's that mean? Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. John chapter 9. Jesus reached over and touched a man who had been born blind. You remember the story? There's this big chaos and ruckus about it. Why was there a ruckus? Because only Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Only Yahweh. There was not a bunch of healers running around making blind guys see. Who opens the eyes of the blind? Yahweh. When Jesus opened the blind man's eyes, what did that mean? Yahweh's here. Yahweh has come. Yahweh is here. That's why they said, oh, that man must be a sinner. And the guy's like, what in the world are you talking about? Whether he's a sinner or not, I was blind, now I see. The Psalms tell us only Yahweh does that. Only Yahweh. By the way, the Psalms tell us several things only Yahweh does. The other one that's right off the top of my head, only Yahweh can calm the storm. 
can say to that storm, peace be still, and it'll be still. Sounds like another thing Jesus did, no? Seems like. Anyway. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. Again, this is a picture of humility. Humility. We come before God in humility. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the stranger. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. God cares about the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked, he'll turn upside down. Payday someday. God hasn't lost sight of what's happening in your life. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.